Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Oh my gosh, today we are so, so happy to have Yasmin Cheyenne on Full Cup Conversations. I had the pleasure of meeting Yasmin a little bit earlier this year when she was filming the content that is now live on the Melissa Wood Health platform. And as soon as I met Yasmin, I was like, oh my God, she is the real deal. So without further ado, I'm going to intro her for those of you who aren't familiar with her and her work. Yasmin Cheyenne is an author, speaker, and mental wellness advocate who helps people learn how to cultivate daily practices to build healthy, joyful lives. Yasmin's first book, The Sugar Jar, was released in December 2022 and shows readers that when we nurture our energy, we can create more balance and joy in our lives. Welcome, Yasmin. Welcome. Having me. Oh my God, I love that full cup conversation. Yeah. I love yeah. it. That's- that's who we are, baby. We're here to have a full cup conversation. And I'm sure that chatting with you will fill everyone's cup. So, you know, we are, we're so happy to have you here. We want to talk about your book. We want to talk about the work you do as a wellness advocate. But, you know, at Full Plate, Full Cup, we really focus on work and career. And so we would love to spend some time digging into your very unique professional journey uh, some people may not know that you joined the Air Force at a young age. So I'd love to hear kind of like, take us back there. What got you uh, into military service? Let's let's start from there. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, and at the time, you know, Brooklyn was changing. I could not afford to live where I grew up anymore. The businesses and things that were moving in weren't hiring people that looked like me. Um, And so I realized quickly, because I always had this thought process of my surroundings is not reflective of what's possible for me. Like, I know I can do great things, even though I don't see how that's possible right now. So what made the most sense was join the military during a war. Um, This is, you know, 19 year old Yasmin thinking, well, they're going to give me opportunities. They're going to give me a job. They're going to give me insurance. And then maybe I'll travel the world. And I just really thought that that was the quickest and easiest way to an education that was paid for. It was really survival based. It wasn't like, oh, this is like a wonderful opportunity. No, it was like, I need to do something because BMCC is not cutting it, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, for the non-New York people, Borough of Manhattan Community College, because um, I worked at the Dunkin' Donuts around the corner. So that wasn't gonna be enough. So it was time for me to do something different. Yeah. and. You know, I'm curious, you mentioned that there was always a part of you that knew that you could do something bigger, that could do something more, even though you hadn't seen it. Where do you think that came from? What was what was it your parents? Was it your peer? Like, where did that come from? I definitely think that was planted from my mom. She always thought it was really important to take us out of 
the projects and bring us into other neighborhoods and experience other things so that we knew for sure that this was not the reality. Little things that may not seem little to little things that may not seem big to other people going to Court Street, you know, going to other neighborhoods yeah. where I saw people doing things that were different. I remember working at Dunkin' Donuts and meeting this person that ended up getting getting me a job to work for this producer that was huge at the time. Just little moments that I'd have where I realized anything could happen at any moment and it could change and I could have an opportunity. And since I keep getting these opportunities, maybe the universe is telling me that there's something bigger for me. So I just really believed I don't have to know what it is yet. I just know that there's something else. Yeah. So I know a little bit about your career path, but for the people that don't, you were in the Air Force and then you were working as a um, a victim's rights advocate. Mm-hmm. What you're doing now and that work, you know, to the to the naked eye seems just like so drastically different. When, at what point in your career did you start to have this inkling of like, oh, this is, this is what I'm meant to be doing or this is what I want to do? Yeah, I think it feels disconnected, but it's actually so related because I've, one, I've always been in service and no matter where I've been, whether it was at Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's or Old Navy or a victim advocate, I was always the healer that I am today. I just didn't know what I was doing yet. (laughs) So... Um, victim advocacy really threw me into that because I wasn't just a victim advocate. I was uh, working for the prosecution in the Air Force. We were prosecuting cases. And as a victim advocate, I was supporting the victims of domestic violence, of sexual assault, things like that. I don't know what was going on. Well, I know what was going on because it's happening all the time, but it just felt like it was every day there was a new case, Mm. something more horrific than the last Um, And I found myself wondering, like, what happens to these women, to these people, because it wasn't always women, when this is over, when I'm done with the paperwork, when I'm done helping them get money or resources or whatever, what happens to their well-being? Because I'm not okay after this case. And this didn't even happen to me. So two things happened. I realized that I did have the capacity to hold space for really hard things. The second thing that was that I realized I I needed help too. (laughs) And so my healing journey, plus recognizing a gift to hold space for really hard experiences began to morph into what I do today. And this is like, you know, 16 years ago now. And so I think it's important to say that because it was a long journey to what I teach today, but the teaching portion of it happened rather early on in my life. Um, it just wasn't always clear to me. I wasn't always willing to hold on to the idea that this is what I'm supposed to be doing because I thought, mm. who are you to be doing this? You're flawed. And, you know, I had the idea that you had to be perfect too. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I love that you mentioned that this has been a 16-year journey for you because mm-hmm. so often we just see the pinnacle of people's careers and the pinnacle of their businesses that they've created. And this has actually been a long time coming for you. And also a big industry change from the military to the wellness space. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know, you know, as someone who entered the wellness healing helping industry from the military, which is very different. 
how did you start to make connections and build your personal brand in that space? Yeah, I would say first that I don't think the military is very different than the wellness space. Uh, there's tons of politics. Uh, <laughs> you have to get to know people. And there's a bunch of people with trauma and pain and hurt that don't know what to do with it. And so, you know, whether I was in the military or in corporate or, you know, I worked at the VA for some time, I think that you can bring what you offer to the world to any of those spaces. So what I'll say is, though, um, in terms of how the healing space has been different is I think in the military, I was expecting a little bit of the undercutting. Mm. I was expecting a little bit of, you know, the negativity or the boys club, quote unquote, kind of thing. In the wellness space, I wasn't expecting that. I talk about that in my book, but I was completely shocked because I thought, oh, we're in wellness and everybody's healing. So it should just be, you know, the land of rainbows and gumdrops. You know, I don't know thinking. Um, I was really shocked to recognize yeah. that there were people that weren't necessarily walking their talk because they're human. We're all human. Yeah. And so um, I would say that in this space, my networking and my connections have been best served by actually getting to know people and letting things naturally unfold. Mm -hmm. If I was in corporate when I was in corporate, I don't have to necessarily I mean, yes, it's better if someone likes you. But if we have a commonality that we need to get solved, it's more from a business perspective. And we're like, oh, this is a great way that we collaborate and we can move forward. Mm -hmm. My brand today is so aligned with truth and honesty and transparency and vulnerability and community that I also need to know that I want to be connected with you and that you are going to have my community's best interest at heart too in a way that, yes, I would have done that in business, but it's very different, I feel. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you couldn't see, but <laughs> Amanda and I were nodding in agreement with Dad's and speaking about um, the unexpected surprises of the wellness space because it's a space that all three of us have worked in in different capacities. And um, I think with a lot of new things, you go into it with expectations of how it's going to be and what the people will act like and how they're going to treat you. And those expectations, the reality of that doesn't always match our expectations. So mm -hmm. Yasin, given your experience and you know everything that you're, you teach, how do you suggest people manage themselves and manage their emotions when reality doesn't match expectation? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that I think is really important is boundaries. Just because someone is a healer or someone is in this teaching space, it doesn't mean that you get to emotionally dump on them or that they get to pour into you. Like recognizing that there still needs to be a reciprocal yes to sharing and getting to know each other. And so I think for a lot of people, they might see something that someone posts or share and they say, oh, that was the sign, you know, because in wellness, we love signs. And they say, that's a sign. And so I need to reach out to them and they're going to help me with my business or they're going to give me information or they're going to. And, you know, I've experienced that early on in my career, too. And I think it's important to recognize that boundaries, you have to get to know people and also they have to say yes to wanting to show up for you just because they help people heal or just because they serve in their capacity of what they do for a living. It doesn't mean that their door is always open because I, I could speak for myself. 
I had to really work hard to close that door. I felt like I want to help as many people as I can. I want to give out as much information as I can. I want to. And you really can't. You really have to be one boundary. Two, you have to make sure that you're respecting that you don't know people. And so you can't actually help them or serve them in the way that you may want to because you don't know the full circumstances. The other thing that I think is really important, too, is giving yourself time to learn and get comfortable with the fact that you won't always be on the in crowd or in the in circles or whatever you think is actually in that you probably are blessed to not be in. Um, (laughs) Finding the people who naturally want to connect with you is the best thing that you can do in this space. And it may feel like really sexy to see like the parties and the events or the different things and want to be a part of them. And I've had those moments too, but I always tell myself that the people who I connect with and it's easy and it just feels safe and it just feels like, oh, I don't know them fully yet, but I know that we know each other in some way in a very woo-woo way of saying that. That's what I'm looking for in my everyday connections and the people that I continue to build with long term. Not necessarily, oh, they have the blue check or the numbers or the this or the that. That's less important than the people who actually get you. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear you say that because I think, you know, when you when you approach relationships from a transactional standpoint, right? They feel transactional. Mm-hmm. They are transactional. And when you create real connections with people who, once again, now that you've built this community, not to say you're responsible for them, but you want to be mindful of who you are exposing them to, bringing into their space as well. And uh, yeah, so that that authentic connection. Well, you, you know, your bio that you had us read was so polite and so short. And there's so much more that that you do that you've done that you've built. You have an app. Um, and your app and your book are both called The Sugar Jar. So mm-hmm. once again, for people who, and, and it's funny because I didn't know that The Sugar Jar stood for something until I got the copy of the book. And so I'd love for you to break down what the acronym is in Sugar Jar for folks listening out there. It might entice them to learn learn more and you know buy the book. Yeah, oh my gosh, guys, if you're listening, um, you are if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> When people say they didn't know that the sugar dry stood for something, that is like one of the biggest lessons in business for me, which Mm. is continue to repeat. And when you feel like you've said it enough, repeat it again Mm -hmm. because you think you, you know, you're you're saying it consecutively or consistently. And there's always someone who doesn't know. And you know, I devour your content. So it's. (laughs) No, I know. Um, So the sugar dry was created from like true turmoil. I was, had just given birth. I was overwhelmed, overworked, overbooked. And I thought this is what life's about. Like I have a baby, she was my rainbow baby. So I was feeling like very triumphant for lack of a better term, but just like we did it. Like I'm, I'm on the other side of this. And my business was taking off. I had just gone viral for the first time. So I was like, this is what success looks like. And I had defined success by those things versus having spaciousness, having boundaries. And so I was sitting there voice noting to myself. I voice journal a lot. I really started it with her because I didn't have enough hands to write because I was breastfeeding. And I was saying, I feel like a jar of sugar. I'm the jar. The sugar is my energy, my time, my resources. 
people just keep coming inside the kitchen, taking sugar. It's spilled everywhere. It's all over the floor. And I just feel like a resource. I just feel like something people are using. I don't know what they're using it for. I don't know how they got in here. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with filling myself up. And I sent it to a friend who was like, oh, my gosh, you you know, you you need to talk about this more. (laughs) And I ended up doing a sugar jar challenge, which was supposed to be like a one and done thing. And I was like, "Okay, let's move on from the sugar jar. But every time I would meet people, they'd be like, oh, can you come on the podcast? Can you talk about the sugar jar? And I think I was running from the sugar jar, which is probably why a lot of people didn't hear about it for some years, is because I didn't want to deal with my own mess. I feel like I'm very much, if I am teaching it, then I want to be living by it, not through perfectionism, but through honesty, compassionate honesty. And so I was, it was a bunch of boundaries and things that I hadn't dealt with. The sugar jar is now a reminder to continue curiosity and to continue to ask myself and for you to ask yourself, do I have enough energy to be giving to the things that I'm saying yes to? Do I want to be committed to this? Do I want to be in this partnership? Does this person drain me or fill me? Does this environment drain me or fill me? And there's so many wellness tools. There's so many things that we try to keep track of. When do I do Reiki? When do I sit? Do I need to try acupuncture? Blah, 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 blah. The retreats that we all can't accessibly go on. So the sugar jar is an opportunity to check in with yourself regularly. And I think it's a tool that people can remember, whether you're woo or not, how to ask yourself what you need. I love that. And before we we have a lot of things we want to ask you about the book, but I want to go back. You mentioned your like first viral moment. And I think for a lot of people listening, particularly if they are entrepreneurs or business owners, right? Like they haven't had that moment yet. And it's like, what does it feel like? What does it do? Like, is it as good as you hope it will be, right? Like your first time. Take us back to that first viral moment. How did it happen? What was the impact on your business? What was the impact on your life? Was there a roller coaster? Tell us all the good, bad, ugly, juicy details around this yes. moment. Okay, I'll tell you too, because I just recently went viral last week. So it, it'll be the first time I went viral, I had, I don't know, 8,000 followers, like, you know, large community, but rather small compared to where a lot of huge accounts are. And I wasn't really well known. I was posting regularly. I made this post, which was a part of healing is recognizing who people are and accepting them for where they are today, not where you wish they could be, paraphrasing, but something like that. And I just went about my day because I get like 200 likes or 100 likes. It wasn't a, you know, I logged on and I saw, this is the old Instagram, but I saw 10, 10, 100. And then I was like, oh, I just clicked it and moved on. And then it was just 10, 10, 100. It just kept going. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I looked at my likes. I had like 4,000 likes. I'd never had over 400 likes. So I thought to myself, this must be someone big. What if it's like a Kardashian? I don't even know how that came into my mind. So I just went because they don't tag you necessarily every time, right? They just share. So I went and checked all the Kardashians and I go to Courtney's Kardashian's page and she shared my post. And not only did she share my post, she shared it like the correct way, like from my page on Snapchat, on Twitter. So it was like one of these like massive, it's like you can't pay for it share um you could but i can't <laughs> you can pay for anything these days yeah. yeah and it was wonderful because i mean my community grew to 15,000 in minutes 
And I was nervous because I was like, this is a huge, one of the biggest followings on the platform. What if a bunch of people come that aren't aligned? It was like the universe took care of it. Everyone who hit follow were people that were like aligned and were looking for this kind of work. And I had decided a year before that, that I was going to post every single day, no matter what. I wasn't going to miss a day. And if I, and in addition to that, I was going to write every single day. I didn't have a book deal yet. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to sign me. And so, yeah, it was like that confirmation. It's so interesting to talk about this now that the book's out because I said to myself then, maybe I should get a literary agent. And I went to go look for a literary agent and I met with like eight people and every single person was like, so Kourtney Kardashian shared you, who cares? That's one time, no. Like very dismissive, three minute meeting kind of no. Very New, very New York. And my agent that I have today was like, I think your stuff is wonderful and I love the sugar jar. Let's let's do it and let's just build together. I love Lee. Um, and so it was- Shout out Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was this amazing experience of, having a yes, having lots of no's, recognizing that viral didn't really mean to me what it what I thought it would mean to other businesses. And yeah, and then it fell off and it was like, okay. And this is the was like the validation. Keep going. You really never know what's going to happen each day. It's wild. Fast forward last week or the week before, this book launch has been a major test for me energetically, emotionally, spiritually. <laughs> And I didn't have the support that I thought I was going to have in a lot of different ways. I had amazing support in ways that I couldn't have asked for, but lots of things happened that you don't want to happen when your book is launching. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to watch Harry and Meghan and like (laughs) eat popcorn because I cannot stress about this because if I stress about this, it's the wrong energy. I like put Harry and Meghan on crying, watching, eating popcorn And then I checked my posts and I had posted, I don't know, like an hour before. And I had like 10,000 likes, which you might think is possible because of the size of my community. It's it's very hard to do that today um, because of the algorithm. And then like three days later, it was at 70,000. I was like, what's happening? And so I'm sharing that because that was four years apart. Mm. I've had moments in between that, but not that big. And the consistency is hard to keep up with sometimes when you don't actually see the evidence of it paying off because it went from, yes, the Kardashian viral and b- getting a big community and over 100,000 today show all of those things. And then I had moments where I post something and it's like no one cricket <laughs> in between then. Even you uh, have cricket. Oh, that oh I have. We were just talking about that this morning. Sometimes I post something and I'd like, do I need to delete it and post it again? Did it go through? You're like, am I speaking it to the void or what? Yes. And I'm also reminding myself in this moment of like, oh, the book's out and people are sharing and things are really high. There's going to be another down and you just have to continue. Um, and it's so hard to continue. I think that is the like biggest takeaway I've been learning is the commitment that I have, the consistency that I have, the discipline that I have, and the almost crazy belief that I have that it matters is what continues to keep me going when those moments of what I've been going through the last three months show up. That's so beautiful. It is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And 
Wow, it all started with a Kardashian, and here you are four years later with a freaking book. I know. Shout out Lee, shout out Courtney. Shout out Courtney. Listen, every time people say like, oh, I don't know how I feel. I'm like, I know how I feel. Courtney Kardashian shared my post, changed yeah. my life. Yeah. So, yeah. 100%. 100%. Well, speaking of your book, I have been indulging in it the past week. It is such a beautiful book. I told you this before we hit record, but it felt like a giant hug, something that so many of us need right now. And I love that you give practical tools that are accessible to anyone Mm -hmm. with a desire to put in the work. And one thing that we've talked a lot about during this recording and that you speak a lot about in your book are boundaries. <laughs> boundaries is something that Amanda and I um, actually talk with people a lot about in our work. And dare I say, it's something that the majority of folks struggle with, probably everyone here to some extent. Um, one line that really stuck out to me in your book was that, quote, when you don't share your boundaries, people may think that the absence of boundaries means yes. Mm-hmm. So I have two questions relating to this. The first is, what do you tell yourself? What self-talk do you give yourself to pump yourself up to set those difficult boundaries? And then second, what boundaries have been critical for you to grow your business to the extent that you have? Mm. Okay. So the self-talk is, remember, this isn't an ultimatum. This is an opportunity. Not telling them who they are. You're telling them what you need. This is an opportunity for compromise. You guys remember when Oprah used to always go, tweet, tweet, tweet. I literally was about to say tweet. (laughs) (laughs) If Oprah were here, she would say, tweet, tweet. Oh, I want to untitle this, the soundbite episode. Because (laughs) it was just gifting us with soundbites today. Thank you. No, but yeah, that's what I'm telling myself. Because I think my natural reaction is, you're being a bitch. You're being mean. You're being selfish. They just need five minutes of your time or whatever I tell myself it actually could be because I'm also a recovering perfectionist. So I can get things done quicker than we humanly should. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, it'll take me less time. I can just do it. I'm like, no, this is an opportunity. How I think that has helped me in my business is to be successful. You cannot do everything at one time. Not only that, it's helped me in my relationships with people. People who don't have boundaries tend to overwhelm themselves. And then the people that they work with, they tend to micromanage them or not work well with them. They tend to over-email, over-analyze, over-ask. Nobody wants to work with anyone like that. If you're listening and you think, oh, I'm just being really efficient. Actually, people just can't wait till the project's over. So I think I always want people to walk away and feel really comfortable and really supported and seen and respected like that I respect their time. Boundaries help me to have better conversations and clarity about what I need. I'm going to ask questions that I would be too afraid to ask before and advocate for myself in the moment versus hoping that they'll just know what I need, which helps me to have less resentment and to be more of an honest business person than someone who is angry and stewing about not getting what they want or not getting paid what they deserve. And listen, I'm a Black woman, so I understand that there are systems in place that make it hard for women in general and marginalized 
people and black people and brown people to have a harder time getting correct pay and respect and all of those things. And I think I've used that as not used those systems. I've used boundaries as an opportunity to combat those systems and to really stand up for myself as much as I can. And I think that that has helped me have a foundation of this is the bottom line. And it doesn't always, it's not always this strong sounding or easy, or it's actually very brave, courageous, and scary as hell to do that when you might be losing a contract. You know, as an entrepreneur, you guys, you know this now, when you might be losing a contract because you're putting your boundaries in place. And I just tell myself that it's making space for something bigger. I've been in business long enough now to have evidence of the fact that that is true. In the beginning, I was like, it, they're paying me, I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. After time, I'm like, I spent four months on that project that was you know, 75% less than what I should have been paid and had to turn down something else because I didn't have the time. You learn that it never pays off to betray yourself. Yeah, that was that was one of the the biggest lessons of my old business back when I consulted for small up and coming brands. Is you know, you, I was so desperate to take on projects and get clients and have that fuel my internal feeling of success that I took on anything that came my way at any price, and then when things grew, I actually had to say no to them. And it's it's so important that you, you you don't need to learn the hard way. You can hear these types of stories and trust that if you set the right boundaries, that bigger things are coming for you, but you need to create space for them to to enter into your life. Absolutely. Um, so another thing that you you shared in your book that I read this and I was like, oh my gosh, talk about a human and a brand built on honesty was your chapter about presence over performance. Oh, (laughs) Um, you said that every time we say yes to performing, we are also saying, yes, I believe that who I am isn't enough. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who is trying to grow in their career, grow in their business, start something new, climb the ladder, whatever that looks like for you. There is this kind of like pressure that you need to perform in order to fit in, to perform in order to reach that next level. But I loved your approach to being present instead. So from your experience, how can people build their confidence to own who they are with all their imperfections, with everything they have yet to learn? as they grow in their careers and in their businesses? I think we need, one, the self-conversation, the conversation we're having with ourselves, the self-compassion, the compassionate honesty, the self-trust, because those help us when we show up as ourselves and the people that we show up with as ourselves might reflect to us that they don't believe it's enough because that's going to happen. I think people think, oh, I'm showing up as myself so everyone will see me and buy into it. No, you're going to show up as yourself. And yes, some people will see you and some people will think whatever they think. And you're going to have to hold yourself through those tough moments. What helps us through those tough moments is community. This is chapter three, presence of a performance of the book. Oh my God, I'm still learning that lesson. Because the more you grow in business, the more you get put into circles and with people and with places that 
again, you might ask yourself, do I really belong here? Can I really do this? Do I really want this? And it's not because of, I used to think it was imposter syndrome. It's not necessarily imposter syndrome. It's just a feeling of, you know, when you're on the playground and you ask if you could jump rope and they say no, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily <laughs> stop when you grow up. And so I had to really remind myself that if they say no, then find the people who do want to connect with me, who do want to spend time with me. That's choosing myself versus I could do what I need to do to fit, which fitting in is not belonging. It's just performing. But I could do that and I could play that game. And yes, it might connect me with someone or it might, but it would separate me from myself. And that isn't worth it to me anymore. It doesn't mean that the feelings don't come up. That feeling of I'm not enough or am I worthy enough? Those still happen, but having that internal language to remind yourself I am enough, I'm just, we're just not a match and that's okay. And I was hopeful that we would be, um, but I'm glad now that I know that we're not. And I actually take that as a blessing now. I'm like, oh, I'm glad they showed me who they were within 15 mm -hmm. minutes because now I can just move on. <laughs> Imagine if they showed me who they were after two years. Now I'm invested. We have um, at Full Plate, Full Cup, we have a journal club. And one of our members today used the term self-abandon mm -hmm. as something that she wanted to do less of in 2023. She wanted to not self-abandon in order to make others happy and please mm -hmm. people. And your distinction between fitting in and belonging, you know, I used to work in nightlife and used to be on the scene and boy, did I fit in and boy, did I not belong. Mm -hmm. But I did such an excellent job of fitting in that, you know, from an outside perspective, you would just assume that I was one of them. I was one of those people. I had the money. I maybe grew up in the same circles, went to the schools, you know, had had the Tribeca apartment and the da 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 da. None of it was true. I, I definitely did not belong. And I, I really abandoned myself a lot to fit in. So I love that distinction, I think, for people to just be like, this is not the same thing. And it's mm -hmm. not going to gratify me in the same way because it's not me. The right. person that I'm being, the person that I'm being to fit in is actually me abandoning my true self. Oh, I love that. Well, <clears throat> first of all, congratulations that you have launched uh, your book, um, this will this episode will go live not too long after the release. So, you know, a lot of people listening, whether they are, you know, business leaders or creatives, might be on their bucket list to publish a book one day. I'd love to hear what advice you have, whether it's about the writing of the book, the the agent, the publishing, anything that you were like, God, I wish I had known this or this would have been helpful to me in my journey of becoming an author. Mm -hmm. Yeah, saddle the F up. Um, <laughs> I wish, I think ultimately I wish that I knew, I wish that I didn't take what other people were projecting onto me as fact. Um, people were very quick to, to limit, like, listen, this is what's going to happen. It's a first time book. This is what's going to happen. Um, and so then you start to it goes beyond, I'm not talking about advice, but people are basically trying to prepare you for scarcity. Mm. And I think just allowing myself to focus on the proposal, the proposal, I don't know how true this is for everyone. I, I've heard different 
takes. My proposal took 18 months. That was the longest part um, because I really wanted to make sure that I was crafting a book that made sense to me and that felt like I understand, I know this book really well. Um, maybe that's why it only took me six months to write the book. Um, but I really love that that approach. But whichever approach you take, really making sure that you are doing what feels authentic to you. And when I what I mean by that is kind of go dark. Stop taking influence from the post that you just saw. Stop doing that anyway. Um, you have your own gifts. But especially when you're writing a book, really allow yourself to to tune into yourself. Where does your creativity lie? What stories do you want to tell? Who do you want to share about? What do you want people to get out of this? Why are you serving in this way? I think that's the most important thing when we're writing a book, especially if you're writing a wellness book, self-help book. But even if you're writing a book about business, which are kind of leaning towards self-help business at this mm-hmm. point, because everybody wants to talk about mental health, which is wonderful because people in business need it more than they may realize. But really getting clear on that, because I think that we often think, oh, I have a really good idea and I should just go for it. And it's really hard to be patient. But if you take the time to really craft something that feels good, one, you'll have a better opportunity getting an agent that you want. Two, you'll have a better opportunity getting publishers to show up and want to get to know you and your book and sign you. And then three, you might get a better opportunity on the signing end. So I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to happen for every single person because the publishing industry is what it is. But also, I just wish I had been given that advice when I was going through the process. Luckily, my agent helped me with that. And I know a lot of folks don't have an agent. So the last thing I'll say is, if you decide to self-publish, take your time with it, but treat it just like you would if you had a publishing deal. I'm not sure why we treat self-published books like people should be ashamed or people... Like there are amazing self-published books out there. There are people who are perhaps never, Colleen uh, Hoover is still self-publishing books. Like people are still self-publishing books. So really approach it as if it was a public, you know, with a with a house, take your time, connect with people, get in the book clubs, do all the things and really get to know the industry because that's something I didn't know. Yes, I'm a writer. Yes, I'm a business person. The publishing industry and the book industry is completely different than anything that I have ever seen. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Now, not to rush you on to the next, but what's next for you? First of all, are there new things coming up soon that people can be looking out for? Or are there big dreams that you have that you want to kind of, you know, drop into the fire of creation and manifest (laughs) with us on air today? Oh, my gosh. I am the type of person that when I am doing, and this isn't always the case, but I can't stop being creative. So like I wake up in the middle of the night, I write a quick post and then I go back to sleep or I write a quick thing and I go back to sleep or, um, when I'm writing one thing, then another thing comes. And so I feel like there's so many ideas and there's so many things that I'd like to come to fruition. I think the biggest thing right now I'm learning is to not always have something coming because I had a I had an app and then I had a book and then I'm certain there will be other books coming. Um, and so I'm trying to learn to space myself out and hopefully fewer opportunities, but bigger and better opportunities mm-hmm. is the goal. Unless it's like what you were talking about earlier about creating space for 
bigger and better things to come your way. Mm -hmm. So we cannot wait to see what is next for you. Thank you. So we are going to finish off with two rapid fire questions. We ask these to every single guest. Yasmin, what is one tip for working smart? Slow down. Um, Don't feel like you have to get things done quickly. In the military, we used to say, hurry up to speed up. Slow down to speed up. Um, It meant making sure that you were efficient, not in how fast you get it done, but in how well you get it done. Beautiful. Love, love that. And it almost sounds like that's kind of what you're up to, to figure out the big thing that's coming your way. Uh, And then our second rapid fire question is, what is one tip for working happy? Oh, I love this. Um, Having breaks, regular breaks. I feel like we don't take breaks. And if you're a writer, especially, you may lose four hours and realize that you haven't gotten up, used the bathroom, anything. And so even if you have to set an alarm or I don't know about you, but my personal assistant is Siri on my iPhone. She reminds me of everything. And that helps me to remember that I'm also a human who needs to like have sun and walk and do all the things. I love that. I mean, as we sit here in January in New York City, it's 62 degrees today. So you better believe after this, we all need to get our butts out and go outside. Yes. So last but not least, where can our listeners find you? A lot of people are following you already, but if they're not, where are the best places for them to find you and your magic? I think on Instagram, Yasmin Cheyenne. Um, And also if you're a podcast listener, I have the Sugar Jar Podcast which I do interviews, but I also just go on there and just talk about topics relating to self-healing. So yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your magic, for, you know, just keeping it real and keeping it honest as we know you always are. You definitely inspire both of us and we know our listeners will get inspired from you as well. And we'll be sure to share in the show notes where everyone can connect with you. And get the book, of course. And buy the book. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Plate, Full Cup. That's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E. F-U-L-L-C-U-P or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com www.fullplatefullcup.com